When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along. It's another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast and after all of the IPL, 53 editions of the IPL, we're back to normality to some degree and today we are talking about Bangladesh cricket. I'm joined on the line by Toby Radford, who's a friend of the podcast, been on before. Toby, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And also by Tohid Qureshi, who is based in London, writer and broadcaster about Bangladesh cricket in the main. And Tohid, it's good to have you on. Thanks, James. It's great to be on. And let's start with you, Toby. You've been appointed as the high-performance head coach. I'm obviously former Glamorgan, former West Indies coach. How are you finding it? You've not been in the position long is it uh, is it as you'd expect yeah i'd actually um i'd been here before back in 2012 with the west indies and i stayed in the same hotel so it's been straight almost in the same room <laughs> i think with the same view so uh we played here in a series against bangladesh back in 2012 test series one day is um so i kind of had an idea of what the traffic would be like in dakar you know what the pitches would be like and just the general sort of culture really because it's you know, it's very different, obviously, to uh, to life in the West. You know, yeah. I, I mean, as, as a as a cricket coach and, and doing what you do, obviously, as, as we mentioned, West Indies, then to Bangladesh, and you've been around a bit. It's uh, where do you call home? Because <laughs> you, you you put down your roots in different places for different lengths of time, don't you? Yeah, no, I mean, home's always uh, or home in the last five or six years has been Cardiff. So based in Wales, and my wife's there, and my son is in school there. So you know, whenever I've not been on. Uh, you know, I'd be on tours with the West Indies and then in between tours, I'd go back to Cardiff. And, and likewise, now when I finish this camp, I'll be back with um, I'll be back into Cardiff for a few months before I come back again. So um, so home is home is in Wales. <laughs> uh, and when you, t- when you took this job as the uh, high performance head coach um, with the Bangladesh Cricket Board, was that something you had to apply for? Did somebody give you a ring and say, are you, are you interested? How did that work? He said I had an agent actually who was based out in um, in Pakistan, Galaxy Sport, and they knew that the job was coming up and thought that I would sort of fit the bill because, um, you know, back in 2010, I'd set up the West Indies um, High Performance Centre with a young Jason Holder and a young Shannon Gabriel and pr- pretty much half of this current test team. So, I, um, you know, my background had been with International Academy. I'd also set up the West, the Middlesex Academy, you know, many, many years ago with a with a Stephen Finn and an Owen Morgan and a few of those boys. So my background had been in, in academies. This job sort of fitted the bill in, in a way. You know, it was the Bangladesh are the current under-19 world champions. So they got some very good young players. Uh, and those players were coming into the high-performance team. So um, I think I fitted the bill in, in, in many senses. And um, yeah, they, they, the CEO rang me up and we agreed terms on it. And um, yeah, and that was it really. So it was a, a sort of a quick decision, but it seemed the right one. And the way it works is a certain number of days per year which allows me to come out and work in blocks. Okay. So I've just come out and I've done six weeks. I finish on Monday, all being well, fly back Monday, Tuesday to, to the UK. And then I'll come back again then sort of February, March, 
Island A are meant to be coming out for a tour, so we'll play against them. And I'm hoping to bring this team over to the UK and potentially play some sort of county side in that pre-season period when they're just sort of preparing for the season. So, um, you know, a nice mix of training with them and then obviously some proper match play as well. Tohid, obviously as a Bangladesh cricket fan, from my perspective, I've not never been to the subcontinent. I always get this image that India, everybody in India loves cricket. Pakistan, probably very similar. Mm. Bangladesh, is, is that um, something similar to Tohid that uh, everybody in Bangladesh loves cricket or is it is it less so there? Everyone loves cricket in Bangladesh. Yeah, I'm sure Tohid's probably realised from, from his experiences out there just how obsessed and systematical they are about the game. You're quite right, James. Yeah, obviously, the, the game is huge, I think, across the whole of Certainly, Bangladesh, I'd say, probably, you know, the newest cricket playing or test playing nation out of those countries in the subcontinent. They've actually, this week has been the 20th anniversary of the, of the very first test match they played against India back in uh, 2000. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're amongst uh, the newer test playing nations, but what they lack certainly make up for in, in their thematicism and uh, passion for the game. Does that mean for somebody like Toby coming in there as the high-performance head coach, which has obviously been announced and everybody knows he's there now, does that put, mean that there's expectancy there that Toby should feel? <laughs> yeah, well, it, yeah, I, I guess possibly yes. I mean, it, it's such a high-profile kind of sport and obviously, you know, the national team, any coaches associated with the national team are, um, you know, by virtue of being in those positions, they, they are high-profile. So, so, yeah, you know, you are the average rickshaw driver on the streets of Dhaka, who's the head coach of the uh, Bangladesh team, and, and he'll he'll know who it is, unlike probably, you know, most people walking around the streets of South London. And Toby, do you do you feel that as a, as, as somebody going in from England, or from Wales rather, to Bangladesh, that you take that role and a lot's expected of you? Um, you, you certainly feel that the sport is a religion here and, and that they are fanatical about it. I mean, uh, when you go into the gate of the big, you know, the main stadium here, there's always a lot of media around. If you're in the if you're in the academy ground at the back throwing balls, there's always photographers taking pictures up on the side. There's a massive interest which you don't necessarily get in England for cricket. Perhaps it's more for football there, but for here it is their main sport, and you're very aware that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, that somebody may be watching, they may be taking a photograph. You know, there's that interest. I don't feel that as a pressure at all. I mean, I, I quite enjoy it actually that, mm-hmm. that that people are interested and done a lot of interviews out here for. Uh, for local papers and TV and whatever. Um, and they, they're very knowledgeable and you can have good chats with them about cricket and about the players. And I think because the, as I said, the, because the under-19s are the current world champions, it, you know, they, they've got even more interest than normal because pretty much all that team is in the group I've got. I've got 26 players in this high-performance group and it's virtually the under-19 side plus obviously some other slightly older players. You know, being the champions, they, they, they have even more interest in seeing how these players develop and where they go next, and how quickly they can potentially progress into the uh, into the international team. When you were on the podcast before, we spoke about your work in a very similar role, as you said, in in the Caribbean, and that the facilities there mm. at times weren't the best. Um, how is it in Bangladesh? Are you, you know, have you got all the things that you need to actually get these uh, youngsters trained up and exactly how you want them? Yeah, I mean, the cricket facilities at the stadium are very good. Um, they, they've got a, an academy ground at the back with, you know, got your three three good grass nets. You've got your own middle pitch there. They've got the indoor school with the bowling machines. You've got the access to the main stadium. So we've been able, I mean, I've put a program together in the, you know, for the last few weeks. And within that program, a lot of one-to-one time, net time, middle practice time. We've had some internal games. 
Um, I did a focus on sort of test match type cricket for a, for a week or so. I then did some 50 over stuff. This week we've done some T20. We've been able to cover everything and all the facilities are there. And, and I suppose with 20, 26 players in the group, we've been able to play those internal games and get some quite evenly matched um, teams. So um, that's been really good. The board uh, moved very quickly. I mean, we had a tour. Uh, the first team were meant to be in Sri Lanka and because of COVID um, issues, they couldn't go. Our team was meant to go to Sri Lanka as well. And that was sort of called off. So very quickly, the board uh, put together what they called the President's Cup. And they put three teams together of all the best 50 players in. You young. coached one of those, didn't you? I did. I coached yeah. one of the teams. It was a great tournament. I had some really good players. I mean, in our team, we had Mushfika Rahim, who's obviously, you know, world-class middle-order batsman and a great guy. So I had good youngsters and someone like Mushfika in there. It was great for me as a coach because I could use him as the, you know, the great example for these players in terms of how to prepare, how to go about the game, the way he played. Um, so it was it was brilliant to have good experienced players in and around these youngsters. So we've had that as preparation, and then obviously, as I say, the last few weeks we've had these lads following a program that I've put together to uh, to try and develop their own sort of uh, individual games. I was just interested in what you were saying there about the fact that the board kind of moved quite quickly. They set up that Presidents Cup tournament recently, and there's going to be this new kind of T20 tournament. But I guess. Looking at things overall, um, domestic cricket unfortunately hasn't come back in its entirety. The first class competition hasn't come back. Things like the Duck Premier League and indeed the, the Bangladesh Premier League have all kind of been on the whole. And obviously there's been no international cricket. The series against Zimbabwe back in sort of April time. We feel that the players themselves have kind of suffered because of that lack of uh, competitive cricket. I think I think it took them a bit to get back into it. I mean, some of them had had a good few months off. You know, one or two had trained really well at home. Others perhaps didn't have the facilities and didn't come back quite as fit. So I think it's taken some a little bit longer to get back in. But probably halfway through, by halfway through that President's Cup, or for these younger ones, by halfway through this um, program, I think they're all up and running now and they're all in quite a good place. And they go into this next T20 competition now, you know, raring to go in a sense. So I think that where they, where the, all these players are at the moment, I'd say they're in a good place physically. They've had a lot of cricket now over the last few weeks. I mean, for those who are involved in the President's Cup and then the camp, they've had five weeks. And, you know, and you know the stories of all the other pros playing in the tournaments around the world, you know, in this lockdown period. It's been tough. I mean, some of these lads have been cooped up in the academy building, you know, in the, in the rooms there for five weeks. And it's, it's just cricket room, cricket room because of the you know being within the bubble um so that's tough and i think mentally it sort of takes its toll a little bit i mean normally when i run an academy program you know i like to have days off in the middle for the lads i like to go and take them to something away from cricket just to give them a break get to know them outside of cricket we haven't been able to do any of that i mean everything everywhere you go you've got a face mask on uh, no one else from the outside is allowed into the academy bubble uh, you can't mix with other players who've been living on the outside it's very, very tough living in a bubble. You know, you're on constant, you know, you're on constant watch of who you're speaking to, the way you're speaking to, have you got your mask, all this type of stuff. And, you know, that's mentally quite draining over a period of four, four or five weeks, you know. So they've had to deal with all of that. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. 
Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com. Quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com. Together, we save balls. I saw a few of the um, comments. I mean, we spoke before about the the West Indies series. England were in that bubble all the way through the summer, uh, and Joffrey Archer and, and a few of the other guys have gone into the IPL bubble after that. I, I mean, Jimmy Anderson said, I think that you know, just like you said, you know, you play cricket, you then wake up the next morning, open the curtains, and the cricket ground's kind of there on your doorstep again, and there's no escape. That that takes some dealing with, doesn't it? And you you must have found that going in there. Yeah, I have. And look, I mean, when I came in for this other tournament, I mean, we were tested. I had five days or six days in quarantine, having just landed from the. UK, I had to test twice and, and then once I was negative I could then eat with the rest of the players and then I was sort of tested regularly. We did that tournament for two weeks and you would just eat in the hotel in our own restaurant. The, the chefs would stay in the hotel, they wouldn't go outside either. You'd be driven to the ground, play the cricket, driven back, straight in your room and it was like that for days on end. Now I think I've been there just over 40 days. Every day I've had a taxi to the ground, the taxi driver stays within the grounds, the cricket ground, so he's not allowed out. He's employed by the board. Wow. So everything, they're trying their best to do everything within the bubble, you know, but even then, when you get in the ground, you know, media will come in from the outside. Other people will come out. You're not quite sure when you're talking to people whether they're within the bubble or outside. So, you know, it, it, it's just a crazy life that we're all living at the moment. And, um, you know, you, you're trying to focus, you know, heavily on the job that you're here to do, which we do. Um, but it's it's very, very much hotel ground, hotel ground, day after day after day. And, you know, when you've done that for 30 or 40 days, it's mentally quite draining. And, um, you know, you don't see anything other than that, you know. I assume when you when you took the job and, you, I mean, as you say, you go over in blocks and everything, the, the COVID-19 situation and world travel and everything is never, it's not that simple at the moment, is it? Was there ever any worry that you were going to get out there for this period? I, I mean, there was leading up to when I flew. I mean, I flew early October and didn't quite know how it was going to be. And, you know, you got to Heathrow. Heathrow was much quieter than normal. Well, the airline wasn't flying out of its normal term. It just was a very different experience. But the airline itself, you know, you weren't sitting next to other passengers. They managed to put you in diagonal seats and empty seats around you. So they were clearly the airlines are doing things to make life easier. And then I landed in Bahrain and I went down. I went to the gate to get on to the, the, the leg that would take me from Bahrain to, to Dakar. And a lot of the Bangladeshis work in Bahrain, uh, uh, you know, sort of building, etc. And there was no social distancing at all. So I got down to the <laughs> gate and it was almost like there was no pandemic at all. They didn't have a mask on. And I think it, and I was sort of up against the wall. I was trying to get out of the room. But it, it was it was quite frightening almost because yeah. everything up until then from London to there had been very spaced out and you were very well aware but. You think, oh my God, this is uh, you know, <laughs> a potential nightmare. Toby, I can only uh, sympathise and empathise with that experience. I've been on that flight many a time. It's never been a fun experience. You know exactly what I, you know, what I dealt with. Yeah, <laughs> and that, yeah. that that was probably when COVID wasn't around, Toby, as well. So the the COVID element is uh, was even worse for Toby, wasn't yeah. it? Exactly. I think, yeah, as, as Toby said, there's a lot of kind of ex. Workers, you know, working on sort of manual construction sites. So, you know, all of the, the construction sites in Dubai and, and places like that. Yeah, they're, they're probably not the best at uh, queuing guest etiquette and, and all that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. hey, the other interesting thing was landing. I got in, I got in at four in the morning, five in the morning in Dakar, right? 
and I had two bags. I had my I had my personal sort of suitcase, and I had my cricket bag with all my flingers and my mitts and all the my coaching stuff. And only the one bag turned up, so only my personal bags and my coaching bag didn't turn up at all. And I think it was until about four days later, and that the, the bag suddenly arrived on another flight, so they didn't put all the bags on either. So at one point, I didn't know if I'd have my coaching stuff ever arrive. You know, well, I, I, the, the, could, it could have been worse, couldn't it? You, you, you've got the choice there of either coaching naked with your mitts or or having your, yeah. There's, it's, it's, it's bad either way, isn't it? But there you go. Yeah, the, yeah exactly. The, it turned up at the end. The training camp that you've had, obviously getting to know the um, the guys out there, and probably as much on a personal level as, as technique as well. I mean, obviously, you know, your role is to make their cricket better, but getting to know them as people too. I, look, it's a massive part of coaching, isn't it? It's, you know, they always say you coach a person first before you coach the game. So, um, And I, I found them very nice guys, good to coach, keen to sort of listen and develop, um, very coachable, to be honest. I mean, they've been great. Some of them speak better English than others. In certain cases, you almost need another coach who speaks good English to sort of translate for them to make sure that your message is definitely getting across and they fully, you know, they totally understand what you're trying to say. So, you know, one or two speak really good English. Uh, and one or two, as I say, a little bit more, a bit more tricky. But you, you can get round it. You know, I've been lucky that other coaches who work here do speak good English, and then they can, as I say, they can translate it for me. When you took the job, Toby, and obviously you've, you've you've had conversations with the Bangladesh Cricket Board about what your role would be. Is it in such in this sort of situation they say to you, right, this is what you're going to do, X, Y, Z, this is your role, or is there scope for you to add your own stamp on that? No, it's been very much, look, they're employing me to come in and hopefully use my sort of past experience um, and experience to do that, to run this type of thing. So it's very much over to me and I've just put the program together. So once they employ you, what they what they can do and they have done is say, look, we've got a tournament coming. So initially I wrote a six-week program and then that was cut down to four weeks because they wanted the President's Cup. Mm. And then the four week was cut down to two weeks because they wanted the corporate league at the end. So my six week program sort of got squeezed in the middle. And then what I've done within my sort of last 15 days, I've, I've, I've squeezed down what would have been in six weeks, which was a bit of test cricket, a bit of 50, a bit of 20, and the type of things I wanted to cover. I've, I've sort of squashed it into this 15 day period, which worked really well. And we covered pretty much everything I wanted. So from that end, they would decide if other tournaments are going to happen. In terms of what I deliver and how I deliver it, that's totally down to me. And then they're basically trusting me that hopefully I know what I'm doing and um, I'll, I'll go and set it up the way I, you know, I see best, really. I'm just interested in a, a couple of the individuals that, that you're actually working with. I just want to know just how impressed you are or, or have been with, with Akbar Ali. Just for people who don't know, Akbar Ali was the uh, captain of the World Cup. Obviously, that, that, that winning that final against India in South Africa was a huge deal. But what really impressed me was his captaincy throughout the tournament. I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing him a few months ago, and he just came across as being so mature, so level-headed, and actually spoke really good English. It was quite funny. I was, I was interviewing him, and I was quite happy to, to kind of chat in my quite rusty bundler. You know, he said, no, let's, let's do it in English. I need to improve my English. He just came across well. Yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't captained the side that we had this uh, week, but I, I totally agree with him. I mean, very mature. You can see with him that he's never satisfied. He's always... Uh, when you work with him, he's always looking for that next bit. How can I get that a little bit better? 
he's a very destructive middle-order player. I mean, he, he played a, uh, an innings last week in our two-day game, went in about five or six, and sort of worked his way. In, and then he's explosive, really. I mean, the minute you both full, it's back over your head or deep mid-wicket. Yeah, I think he hit, I don't know, he hit six or seven sixes in that innings, got 140-odd. Uh, this week, again, in the one-day game, scored very quickly. I mean, he's he's explosive, but his shot selection is so good. You know, he's no sloggy, proper hitting. Uh, and as an individual, as you say, I mean, he's, he's very mature and, and he's great to work with. I've really enjoyed working with. Uh, made one or two little adjustments to his trigger movements, got him in a, in, into a nice sort of powerful sort of position. But he's, he's been keen to do that and he's always happy to go to that next bit, I think, and take his game to the next bit. So, no, he's been great and um, he's got something a little bit special, I think, about him as a person and clearly as a player. Uh, I can see him going on and being a, you know, a top player. That's certainly the hope, I guess, for, for all Bangladesh fans. But I think we're also kind of conscious of the fact that you know, there's been lots of hugely talented kind of youngsters, either at under-19 level or, you know, kind of in their early 20s that, that show immense promise but just don't quite kind of kick on at international level. Do you think he, and now I would say, he's, he's kind of big earmarked for the kind of national honoured and, and potential leadership roles as well. Do you think he feels the burden of kind of expectation around that? I don't think so at all. I mean, he, he seems very confident. I think he, in a nice way, I think he backs himself. He knows he can play. Uh, but he's not satisfied. I mean, you know, w- when you raise issues with him or you, you talk about things that he can develop on his game, you don't feel for one minute that, that, that this guy believes he's already there. You feel that he wants to go away and work on it. He wants to hit a few extra balls after practice to work on something that you may have mentioned to him. So I, I see a good work ethic. I see a very professional approach. And I think he reads the game well and he's sensible. He, it was interesting. The first, My first view of him, right, was, was on a bowling machine a couple of weeks ago. And we were doing some away swingers. And I was sort of talking about playing Jimmy in England and that type of thing. And he really struggled. He was getting squared up and he, he was nicking off and his technique was getting exposed a little bit. And then the minute we went into a match about three or four days later where there was no massive swing, obviously wickets a bit flatter, the ball was coming through. I mean, he just looked a totally different batsman, very, very at home in this environment, on these pitches against this type of bowling and destructive. Um, so, you know, clearly he's, he's been brought up over here and he knows how to play over here. Uh, and I, I think that the type of nature that he's got, I think he will, he will look to develop his game so that he can score those type of runs anywhere around the world, which is what I've spoken to all of them about. I've said there's no good Bangladesh just being good in Bangladesh. They've got to go and compete and win abroad, which is whether it's facing Jimmy at Lords or Mitchell Stark in Perth. You have to be able to compete in these other in in these other um, you know environments and on these other pitches, uh, and hence why I'm keen to try and get tours um, to try and create players who can play in those uh, because the only way they're going to develop and, and get better is is performing on them and practicing in them. Um, so I'm I'm definitely keen to put some tours together for them. You know. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree, and I think yeah, those tours would be invaluable. Certainly, you know, if if you could bring over that squad to, to the UK to England to play games, I'm sure it would improve their game no end. Interestingly, well, that under-19 team that won the World Cup, they did they did for England, I think, as a group a couple of times. Yeah. But yeah, also on the bowling front, just interested in uh, in your thoughts on uh, Shoifal, who again in that, that World Cup final against India was very impressive with his pace, really not taking a backward step against the real vaunted Indian batting lineup. Yeah, he's he's had a bit of a back twinge last in his last week, and I would say in the other games he played, him probably bowled a little bit on the short side, so he he probably didn't bowl the length he would want to be bowling. 
the bowler who's really impressed is a, is a guy called um, Shumon, S-U-M-O-N, Shumon Khan, who took four or five wickets in the last game in the final of the President's Cup bowled really well. Manages to sort of swing it across the left-hander edges, nicks off a lot of left-handers and, and, and bowls particularly. And what I've, what I've done with the bowlers over these last two weeks is, is sort of get them very much into the pitch maps uh, in terms of where they're landing the ball and consistency that's needed at the top end of the game. And also, obviously, the wagon wheels are where batters are scoring against them, but but mainly in terms of where they landed the ball. And this Schumann Khan, I mean, he's fantastic control. Um, you know, very, very good for a young bowler. So he's he sort of stood out on the scene. As not, he's not particularly quick, but just in the right area and enough movement. And actually, I could see him bowling well in England on a pitch that's got a little bit of grass in it and condition that might help him, you know. But um, very, very good control. Whereabouts do you you fit into the coaching hierarchy in Bangladesh, Toby? Because as the obviously the head coach of the national team, will you be working yeah. with the national team too, or is it is it purely with the youngster? No, I mean my my role is very much um, high performance centre. But I mean now I've got four days before I fly back, so they've given me some of the senior batters that they want me to work with. So I'm working with Saitrasan tomorrow is one of the test um, batters. So I've got a couple of hours with him tomorrow morning. Uh, Shuma Saka, I think I'm potentially doing a, a session with him before I go back on Monday. So if the selectors are keen, I think, while I'm here and obviously with my back it, batting background that they sort of get full use out of me. So even though the camp's finished and it makes sense really, you know, if there's a couple of batters who need a bit of help and I'm here, then, you know, I'm, I'd like to work with them anyway. So it's, it sort of works for everyone, I think. Well, they've got you and they're paying you. They might as well flog you to death, aren't they, before they send you back home? <laughs> so, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> get me flinging as many balls in this 35 degree heat. No, I enjoy it. Look, and you know that's what I love more than anything. You know, it's been my job with the Windies for the last eight years is is working on a one to one basis with good batters. That's what I love doing. And uh, no, it'd be nice tomorrow. I'm looking forward to doing a bit of work with him. You know, Safe's obviously a good player. He's played some international cricket. Um, and you know, hopefully, I can uh, hopefully add something to his game while I'm while I'm here. You know, I've seen your comments, Toby, about um, wanting to try and I think I guess it's the way I've interpreted anyway is a bit a little bit about priorities that you were in the West Indies um, in 2018 when Bangladesh never got past 200 with 43 all out, struggled against pace, but then won the one day series. And I think you've you've made a little bit of a an emphasis on, on test cricket and against uh, facing the fast bowlers and trying to get a better technique against the real quick so you can sustain a, a longer innings against um, some of the, the world's best. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that series in the Caribbean, I mean, Shannon Gabriel's extra pace, you know, Jason Holder's bounce, it sort of blew them away a little bit. Test matches were getting over in two and a half days. Um, but the minute, as you say, they put the coloured clothing on and play with the white ball, um, you know, Bangladesh were a totally different side. In fact, they beat us, I think, 3-2 in the in the one-day um, in the one day competition and, and they won the T20s. But it was very clear that the pace and the bounce was what, what exposed them. So the emphasis for me in this early part of this camp was about technique. It was about batters getting in line. Uh, it was about knowing where you're off stumpies and all the technical bits of being a high-end player in, in, in the longer format of the game. And as I said, to the lads and had a good chat with them you know for me you know it's still test cricket is still the best format of cricket still the best test of a cricketer and I do believe that the best players are the best players in any format and mm. you know whether it's a Kane Williamson or a Virat Kohli or a Ben Stokes the best players can play a five-day test match uh, against a red ball and they can also then deliver on a 50 over or 20 over but they've got good technique and then they just develop that and do the funky stuff around it but you need that good technique first so I'm honing in 
on on those players with that first. I would imagine though, there's a great temptation with youngsters today. I mean, I, I fully take what you've just said. I think Test cricket is the pinnacle, and it's where you are. You you find out who is the best player in the world. But as a yep. youngster in Bangladesh, and you're thinking, I, if I could just get an IPL contract, then this is me made for life. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's my job to sell to them that Virat Kohli, before he made all his money in the IPL, was a fine player, who honed his skills. Mm. you know, in India and then in Test cricket and then moved into this. Chris Gale scored a triple hundred in, in, in Test cricket in Sri Lanka before he went and made his money in the IPL. So I, I do honestly believe that the best players in that format have generally come from being, you know, having good technique honed in, in, in the longer format first. I think these lads that I've seen over the last couple of weeks, they kind of buy into that and the quality I'm seeing. Got some exceptional young batters, honestly, some real high quality young batters. Uh, and as you'd expect here, some very, very good spinners as well. But, you know, I've seen some really good young batters who do shape up well. And with one or two little things that we've talked about, guards and positioning in the crease to help them on off stump and lining up the ball better. You know, you're, you're, I'm seeing players who have been maybe earmarked as, you know, just white ball players suddenly thinking, hang on, I can, I can play the red ball. I can get behind it. I can judge better. And it's more of a mindset than anything else. You haven't had to change them a lot technically. You've lined them up better and you've got him into this idea of, you know, you're going to leave a few more balls and that's it. You know, I haven't had to do a lot with them, but you're starting to get a little bit of success with some who may have just been, you know, sort of rubber stampers or he's only a white ball player. Uh, I think you can still be quite good in the red ball just with one or two little tweaks here and there. You talked earlier on about trying to get the, the youngsters in Bangladesh who are obviously very at home, literally, on their own surfaces. Yeah. And the lad you mentioned who struggled when the ball started to swing. How much can you coach that yeah. in Bangladesh? I mean, obviously, coming to England they'd experience it firsthand. But how much can you replicate something like that actually in a, in a net session? You, I mean, for me, a lot of it I've done over the years, I've done on bowling machines. I think you can do a lot on bowling machines because you can get good pace, good swing. You can change the angle by moving the machines both sides. I do a little drill, which works quite well. Where I have two machines in the same net. So I set one up as a sort of a jimmy away swinger and I set the other one up as a left armour kind of bolt type thing swinging back in. And I get the players to face six balls on one. I jump across to the other one and then face six balls on the other. It's replicating what you get in a match where you might have a left armour swinging in one end, you might have the right armour swinging away at the other. And what they're doing then, I've got to change my guard, I've got to change my alignment, I've got to think about what I leave and play. So I'm really testing them in practice. And obviously I can with a machine land it fairly consistently in a place with good pace. So I think you can do a lot with that. Ideally, of course, you then want to go and put that in on a grass-type surface that creates a similar thing. And they're saying, I haven't been there, but they're saying that in Sillet, that there's very good uh, cricket facilities and that the pitches have a bit more grass, a bit quicker, and they carry a bit more. So I think potentially we can have the odd camp or two there as well. Um, and would replicate sort of playing abroad a little bit more than some of the sort of slower pitches around, um, slower, lower pitches that you get in Dakar. Um, so, no, I think you can do a certain amount, but obviously the final bit is is trying to go away and, 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 and put the players in an environment that is, you know, going to really test them, I think, whether that's pace or bounce or, you know, um, seeming wickets in, in England, you know. Just coming back on what you were saying there about the fillet ground or the fillet, International Cricket Stadium, as it's known. Yeah, I've been there a few times, and I can def- I definitely agree with what you're saying. Firstly, there's fantastic facilities there. It's a really nice ground that's kind of set among uh, lots of kind of tea gardens, tea estates, all very leafy, very green. But also the 
suited by no excellent. And interestingly, yeah. what you say about sort of fast bowling, and they've actually produced two of the national team fast bowlers are from Silet. So Abu Jai and Rahi, both from Silet, and basically, you know, they're the first choice pace attack. Yeah. So there's, there's certainly something going on up in the northeast of the country that, that hopefully, you know, can be a benefit to. Yeah. You, you do and look and, and as players you, you, you often become a product of the environment that you grow up in and, and obviously you hear what you're seeing is a lot of very good spinners they're used to bowling on slow wicket you're seeing batters who play spin well who, who manipulate the ball off medium pace as well because that's what they get so it's natural isn't it in the same way that English players tend to play the swinging ball well but don't play the spin spinning bowling particularly well because that's what we're brought up on so you've got to find ways for these players if you want to, if you want to compete around the world and away from home you've got to find ways to to um, expose the players to that in their development I've seen in in, yeah. in the Bangladesh stuff that they, there's a bit of a talent hunt going on with them at the moment that you're trying to Id- identify some of the uh, the good unfound Bangladeshi um, stars of the future potentially is that I don't know much about that is that through a sort of um, through a domestic sort of district type thing or is that I haven't it, seen that it was described as the talent hunt in the thing I read I, mean, no, I don't know anything about that. I mean I, I presume I mean from your position I mean obviously fairly, fairly new into it but the in England, they call it the pathway scheme, don't they? Where the, the yeah you know, people kind of come through from clubs and schools yeah. and what have you into into professional setups. The, the Bangladesh presumably have some kind of system where they identify the quality players. Yeah, I mean they've, they've certainly got a very strong um, you know from 1970s, 15s. They've got good national squad setups all the way through um, that have you know proper fixture lists and, and, and good training. So you know once they once the player gets into that, obviously then they can sort of progress through the system. I don't have a very good knowledge yet of how they bring them in from sort of clubs or districts or whatever to get into that system. But I know certainly when they're in it, they've got, um, they'll have good coaching and good, um, you know, good camps, etc. You're on a one-year deal, is that right? Yeah, August to August. So, you know, we'll sort of assess then, I think, see if they're happy, see if I'm happy and um, and take it from there. But uh, I think it's a kind of job, if you want to make a big difference, you probably need two or three years to, to really sort of stamp something on it. Um, but um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how the powers that pay you <laughs> in August and we'll, we'll take it from there Bangladesh there's massive potential there isn't there and, and as you say I mean we yeah we've seen with the national team some of the, the stars that have come through have been absolutely glorious to watch so mm. if you can tap into some of that talent yeah the sky's the limit really I think one of the interesting things I've seen is there are there's a lot of very good players right and I think the, I think you've got to be very selective in, in terms of ranking where those players are. You know, when I came on here, one of the things I said to the selectors very early on, when I found out there's 26 players on the High Performance Centre, I said, normally you work with 15 or 16. When I was with the West Indies, I think we had 14 or 15. When I was with Middlesex, we had 14. 26 is a lot for a High Performance Centre. And it almost um, gives me the impression that they, they're not quite sure. These are all pretty good. Let's throw them in and see who comes through. I'm very much of the belief that you back your decision making, you rank them and you say, do you know what? These are our best 15 and we're going to polish these best 15 up and you're going to spend all your time with these best 15. The danger, I think, and this is what I see a little bit in Bangladesh cricket, there's a lot of very good players, a much of a muchness in many ways in terms of um, ability. And then you can end up spending a lot of time with some who maybe aren't going to make it or not quite good enough. And I think you've got to back your, back your judgment on them. Who are the best ones? And then really spend your time on those. Don't ignore the other ones. Make sure they're catered in some way. But I think there's a danger of if you, if you keep spending a lot of time with a lot of players, 
then I, I think you're almost sort of working to the lowest common denominator rather than the uh, the highest common denominator. You, you know what you, I'm saying? Yeah, you get that in classrooms. Yeah, you know, that, that's one of the uh, complaints about the English school system of classes of 35 or whatever is that everybody's slowed down by the slowest kid, aren't they? And uh, yes, and I think there's a, I think there's a danger here of that, and I, this is certainly what my feedback's been. And I've done a report now on this first intake. You know, if I was to rank, you know, I've got 26 players here. I could quite easily, you know, I know the top 16 are and the other sort of, you know, the other nine or 10, um, you know, you could still make sure they're covered in a certain area. But when you've got limited time with them, you know, you don't really want to be spending that time across all 26 when you know I've got 15. I tell you what, if I had a bit more time with this one, I could really polish him up, send him up to Russell Domingo, get him in the first team Mm. and get him performing for the Bangladesh national team. You slow down when you know you've got a deal across all 26. What what you got to guard against, though, I guess, is the guy that matures two years later than maybe some of his peers, who who is you know potentially a world star, but isn't quite there. We actually picked that initial fifteen, I guess, isn't it? I absolutely agree, and that's why you need another system to run alongside. So when I ran the Middlesex Academy, I don't know, fifteen years ago, and I had Stephen Finn, Billy Godman, Chris Wright, with some very good players on there. But what we had with another group, we then had what we called a, a sub academy or a junior academy, and they were still being looked after, still mm. catered, but in a slightly different system. They wouldn't get quite as much but you weren't then trying to you weren't trying to cater for you know for these huge numbers you could get a lot more one-to-one time a lot more really intensive time and, that, and that's obviously the one-to-one time is where i believe you make the biggest difference um so you know back your decision making back your judgment on who the best are and then really polish them up and send them on and ultimately my job is to send them on to russell and, and try and get them in the national team you know whether it's a test team or the 50s or the t20s but you know the sooner i can get them there the better for him and the better for bangladesh I'd say it's actually quite an exciting time now for Bangladesh. The team, I feel, in terms of the, the senior side, they're definitely a team in transition. You've had a lot of uh, the core of that well into their 30s. People like Tommy McLeod, people like Shafiq, people like Ushifikor, Mamadullah, they're all kind of well into their 30s. They're kind of coming towards the end of their career. I guess it's an exciting time for, for the youngsters out there, for the for people in that high-performance squad, because there is a real opportunity, a real chance to kind of stake their claim in the national team and, and kind of progress. From a from a fan's point of view, I guess, there's been old storms and kind of periods of inconsistency with with Bangladesh cricket. So I know the fans also are really keen to kind of see the next generation kind of step up and, and perform at a more kind of consistent level, really. No, I agree. I think it, I think it's a great time. I think these players have got a lot. I think there is an expectation because of the success these younger ones have had that we've got some very good players coming through. And it's really now about them sort of, you know, stepping up to the mark, being given the opportunity, which I think will come, um, and then being ready to take it, isn't it? And that, that's what it's all about. There's obviously, look, there's a big gulf between playing under 19 cricket and going and playing international cricket. It's a big jump up. And some make that jump up. Some make it quite quickly. Some take a bit longer and some don't make it at all and this role the role i've got is that bridging gap between you know your best 19 20 year olds getting ready to go and perform and not just get into the into the international team but actually delivering there um so and, and that's a big jump up you know so it's getting them ready mentally getting them ready technically and a lot of what we've done the last couple of weeks is actually tactical 
You know, as I've said to the lads many times when we've debriefed the games that we've played, in terms of what I'm seeing on ability, technical ability, they're as good as any team I've worked with, whether in England or in the Caribbean. The interesting thing for me and where I think that the biggest improvements can be made is tactically in terms of how to play the game, right shot at the right time, bowling, you know, bowling the right delivery at the right time. I think that's the big area, the tactical side of the game. So hopefully the type of thing we've done this week with the internal matches, the debriefs we do, um, you know, that, that, that we're getting them up to speed in terms of the way they think about their cricket that's really interesting actually that the way you know it's, it's the mind as well as the game isn't it and uh, combining the two to make them as good as they can possibly be it's uh, exciting times by the sounds of it though for Bangladesh cricket for you and uh, and for, for Toad as well as a uh, person watching from a probably slightly further distance than he would want to I, I guess as well Toby just to round off and, and thank you very much indeed for coming on today post-Covid whenever that may be hopefully as soon as possible you might get to actually see a bit of Bangladesh too no I'd love to and uh, you know at the moment as I say I see the inside of a class the, the cricket ground and I the inside of my room and hotel. And, and, and look, I, I'm sure there's some lovely parts of Bangladesh I just haven't been able to get to. And, and at some point, you know, heaven forbid, we uh, we get out of this um, situation we're all in that um, no, I can do, I can get around the country and see other parts. And um, yeah, I'd really enjoy that while I'm here. You know, so uh, but it's been good so far. I've, I've really enjoyed the cricket the last few weeks. The players have been great. Attitudes have been great. Real quality, honestly, genuine quality to come to work with. Which you know, any coach you want to work with high end players and and people who want to be coached. And it, it's been brilliant. So um, no, I've really enjoyed it. It's been great. So if if I can make you the uh, the Bangladesh tourism board for. Uh, just a second what would you recommend to Toby once he's able to get that mask off and actually get out there properly where in Bangladesh would he go and uh, have a look at because there, there are so few tourists you will be treated like royalty wherever you go basically because you know you'll get the curiosity but yeah I mean I'm a bit biased my, my family hail from the northeast in Sillet Sillet town as do a lot of kind of expats Bangladeshis in the UK so yeah if you get the chance do go up to Sillet as I said lovely kind of tea gardens, the uh, the cricket ground up there is second to none, decent hotels, great food, you'll absolutely love it. Cox's so, Bazaar has been mentioned to me, what, what's that like, Cox's Bazaar? Yeah, so Cox's Bazaar is down south, close to Chittagong, so yeah, huge long beach, um, yeah. what number one on my list of places to go. Okay, That's uh, not, it shouldn't be number one on my list either then, should it? It kind of, in an odd way, reminds me of Blackpool a little bit. It's okay. kind of the place that everyone goes for like, you know, a weekend away sort of thing. There are actually a couple of other places. There's a, there's a huge mangrove forest. I don't know how accessible these places are anymore. I went about 10 years ago, there's a huge mangrove forest called the Shingabong. Oh, two remaining Bengal tigers. I'm not sure. I think they're in right. there. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's an absolute beautiful part of the world. You know. Well, when we find out in the uh, in the newspapers that the uh, high performance head coach of the Bangladesh Cricket Board has been mauled by a Bengal tiger on his travels, then we know <laughs> who to blame now. Uh, so, don't we? Uh, um, Toad Qureshi and uh, Toby Radford, um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. It's been interesting, actually, from my perspective. I don't know a huge amount about Bangladesh, so it's been interesting from my perspective to hear you both talking about Bangladesh cricket. And uh, thank you very much indeed for joining me on the uh, Cricket Badger podcast today. Great to speak to you both. Thanks ever so much. Yeah, thanks, James. Thanks, Toby. It's that Badger style.
Thank you again to Tohit and to Toby for joining me on the podcast today. Interesting chat about Bangladesh cricket. Hopefully you enjoyed that as well. That was recorded last week, so hopefully Toby is back safe and sound in Cardiff now after experiencing a, an event-free travel back home on the airlines. Thank you to everybody for listening. Just a, a little bit of a hark back to the IPL dailies. The number of listens we got through those shows was was huge, so thank you so much for tuning into the Cricket Badger podcast. And stay tuned as well. Give it a like, give it a subscribe, leave some nice feedback if you can. Every little helps. I've got some really good podcasts planned in the near future, and I'll bring you those as soon as I possibly can. Wherever you are in the world, you can count yourself a Cricket Badger. Stay safe out there, everybody, and I'll see you next time. Podcast Network.